This is I Choose Life, news and views sponsored by Indiana Right to Life and Right to Life of Northeast Indiana, committed to defending innocent human life for all people of all ages. I Choose Life, news and views is produced by Bot Radio Network in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Here are excerpts from a life issue story dated February 5th. Recently, President Biden reversed the Global Protect Life rule, also known as the Mexico City policy. It prevents our tax dollars from funding or promoting abortion in foreign countries. As a result of the reversal, the financial floodgates have been reopened to impose abortion on pro-life cultures around the world. But at least one continent is fighting back. A video called A Message for President Biden, the United Voices of Africa, features various Africans rejecting Biden's efforts to force his worldview and ideology on the African culture that values life. Several Africans voice the need for help like drinkable water, hospitals, food, and electricity. Their overall message? Help us. Don't kill us. To I Choose Life News and Views. As always, I'm so glad to have you tuning in. This is Abigail Lorenzen and happy to be hosting another program. We have with us today Dr. Tara Sander Lee, who is a senior fellow and the director of life sciences at the Charlotte Lozier Institute. Now, many of you are familiar with the Charlotte Lozier Institute, um, which is one of our pro-life organizations dedicated to policies and practices. They do a lot in the scientific world, write great papers, make great resources available, do lots of research. And so we appreciate having them in the pro-life movement because of that, but also appreciative of Dr. Lee joining us today on the program specifically to start our topic about embryos. So as Zach and I mentioned earlier in the year, During the course of this calendar year in the radio program, we're going to be sort of coming back to a couple of topics, one being end-of-life issues and the other one being embryos. We're sort of hitting both ends of the spectrum. And Dr. Lee is going to start us off with a bit of an overview, some definitions of what an embryo is, but then also what's going on in the U.S., what's going on abroad, so that we sort of have an environment in which to place all the other interviews that are going to be happening during the course of the year. So here's the first part of our four-part embryo series. And thanks to Dr. Lee for joining us today. Thank you so much. It's really a pleasure to be here. So as I was reading through your biography, it's really, I told Scott, who engineers our programs for us, I said, I don't know how I'm going to talk to this person. (laughs) Because (laughs) you have so much that you've accomplished in not a whole lot of time, right? 20 years in the academic and clinical medicine world. And I love this, with an emphasis on the cause of pediatric disease. And like, oh, that sounds intense. And then too, I know that you've done some things in the perinatal world as well. Your PhD being from the Medical College of Wisconsin in biochemistry, and then fellowship training at Harvard Medical School and Boston Children's Hospital. So there's a lot packed in there. Is there anything that you want to tease out for our listeners about the experiences you've had that has sort of set you up to not only be the senior fellow, um, but also the director of life sciences for Charlotte Lozier? With God's grace, um, yes, he has led me down this path that has been an incredible journey. And yeah, so my, my training has really been very scientifically Space, like you said, you know, PhD in biochemistry. And, and then that took me to Boston to expand that training into more molecular and cell biology. And then came back to my home state of Wisconsin, you know, where I established and set up my own research lab. And I know I use that broad term of pediatric disease, but 
my focus and interest when it came to research really always took me back to the heart and understanding how the heart was developed in these babies early on and then trying to understand why some of their why their hearts didn't form correctly um, yeah. in the womb and then once they were born what measures could be taken to try to help to heal their damaged heart so that was really um, what I focused on a lot in my research lab and then I was very blessed then to um, then take on a new position there at the affiliated children's hospital which involved directing a clinical diagnostics lab. So then I kind of went to this next step where we were trying to then, we were developing diagnostic tests that would basically look at the DNA of some of these little kids to try to determine what was the genetic cause of their disease. Because if you know the genetic cause, that can help the physicians understand how better to treat them. And so, for example, like going back again to heart disease, you know, we would identify specific genetic mutation that was in some of these babies called 22Q11 deletion syndrome or DeGeorge syndrome. And then that would help the physicians to know how to treat them surgically. And so then that was um, an incredible experience. And then I I really started to become more of an advocate in the pro-life world, kind of on, on the side. <laughs> I was doing that in addition to my, my job. And, and I just kept getting more and more involved and became affiliated with the Charlotte Lozier Institute. And what a blessing it has been. Um, that I actually stepped down then from my director position and then have been doing this ever since. So it's using my science and then also advocating for life and um, educational opportunities, you know, really science and statistics for life is kind of what the Charlotte Lozier stands for. And so it's an incredible blessing and opportunity. Yeah. You mentioned doing this DNA testing to find these genetic mutations for these different than heart issues that you were seeing come as the baby developed. And I think that's a really interesting point to touch on because a lot of times I think in the pro-life community these days, we hear about prenatal testing and genetic testing in, in these little ones in the womb. And we automatically think, oh, don't do that. Because so often those are used now to target children for abortion. Mm-hmm. That a genetic test is done, we see that there's something wrong, and then the physician offers abortion as the first and best option for those parents. But your genetic testing that you were doing. And I loved how you followed it up and said, so that we can see then how do we best help this little person? Right. Because it really is, I think, fascinating to be able to, instead of just looking at how that baby's heart presents, right? Once it's grown to be able to go back earlier and look at the coding for that and say, okay, this coding is going to create this issue. How do we help this little person? Yes, and that's it's exactly it's recognizing that no matter how how little that little person is inside the womb, that whatever information you identify, it's using that information to heal and yeah. not to harm, right? And then recognizing that the advancements in science can be a very good thing, and let's use them to protect that child. So I, I couldn't agree more. For listeners, if you want a really clear picture of what this can look like. There's an amazing book by Amy Kubelbeck called Waiting with Gabriel. And Gabriel was her child who, as he grew in utero, only had half of his heart, so two of the four chambers. And so she walks you through really her mother's mind and heart as she's going through this pregnancy, carrying a child who has very low chances of being able to survive very long outside the womb when the heart has to do its own work. So I think probably right up your alley, Dr. Lee, where you're working at, but a really phenomenal book 
I think for especially the pro-life movement to read, but anybody really, as it sort of walks us through what expectant grief can look like, but specifically for this heart condition. So Dr. Lee, let's start with a simple definition. What is an embryo? At the moment of fertilization, when the, there's the union of the human egg and the sperm resulting in a zygote, that is no longer an egg, but it is now a single cell human embryo. So right from the moment that you have that human egg and that sperm combined, you have a single cell human embryo, one cell, and then this zygote or one cell embryo is going to then begin to undergo multiple cell divisions and grow from a single cell to a two cell. So it divides, it's now two cells, then it's going to divide again. Now it's four cells and eight cells. And then it's going to continue to expand and grow. So you can really look at an, an embryo is going to be considered an embryo right from the very beginning and then through the eighth week of pregnancy post-fertilization. So that's an embryo in the simplest term. So it's given these very specific you know, terminology. So like I mentioned, at the 16-cell stage, it's called a morula. But then by like five days after fertilization, that new embryo is going to be called a blastocyst. So there's specific cellular names that are given at that earliest developmental stage. But whenever you hear the word embryo, that baby is going to be considered an embryo for the first eight weeks of pregnancy after fertilization. And then after those eight weeks, is that when you become a fetus? And that's when you become a fetus. That's exactly right. So lots of different names depending on what stage you're at, and especially at the beginning, how many cells you have. You mentioned blastocyst and zygotes. Should we, in the pro-life movement, shy away from using those terms? I know some people get a little tender-footed when words like fetus are used. No, not at all. And I would really look at them as, you know, they're scientific terms that are used by all biologists and embryologists and, and physicians. And they're, they're in no way, by any means, a ter- that's a term that in any way degrades the child. It's just a very scientific term. And so I... I encourage people to, yeah, actively use those words. Um, It's no different than like when a baby is born and we call the baby a newborn. And Mm -hmm. then when the baby becomes two, we call them a toddler. So it's just different terminologies that are used to describe um, that very earliest of embryo as they're in development. And so I, I would definitely encourage people to not shy away from those words. You can go onto, you know, our website at LozierInstitute.org and you will you will have information as what are those terms and how can they be used so you don't feel intimidated. Yeah, that's a great resource. So with these different terms, the scientific terms being used in conversation, a lot of times on the pro-abortion side, they are used to dehumanize the unborn because if we use a label that people aren't very familiar with, it creates a distance there. So I know myself, I've sometimes in conversation used phrases like, humans in their embryonic state. Is that something you would suggest or just stick with the scientific terms and use those straight up? So you're absolutely right. Abortion clinics, especially places like Planned Parenthood, they work very hard to convince you that that is not a baby and that they dehumanize the preborn at every term. And like you said, they will use, if you go onto their website, they don't even sometimes use the word fetus they'll call it pregnancy tissue Mm. and products. And so you're right. Sometimes they will use fetus, um, but sometimes they even go a step below. Even if you go on their website, they use terms such as greasy. And if women have an abortion, they're told to flush everything down the toilet, you know, so they don't 
you're right. The humanity of the child is completely abandoned, but they also ignore the science when they use terms just as like, you know, and they, and they can't even bring themselves to use the word fetus sometimes. Mm. But what I would encourage people to do is to definitely use scientific language, but just remember that biologists confirm that life begins at conception and that you can share the truth that the preborn are human beings from the very beginning while using the scientific terms, right? You know, every child in the womb is a precious, unique life handcrafted by God in his own image. And you can use scientific fact to defend life, um, even while so many are poisoning it. So you can just remind people that, yes, science helps us to explain the humanity and the personhood of every child in the womb. And then you can just take them back to the humanity and then use the science to use that to support the truth and the facts. So hopefully that helps to explain yeah, that question. It does. I'm going to do a shameless plug here though, because you set me up for it perfectly uh, for our Life Defenders program, because we teach apologetics. And that's one of the things we teach is how to use the science of embryology to have effective and winsome and compassionate conversations with people who are pro-abortion or maybe don't know where they stand on the issue. So if our listeners are listening to you, Dr. Lee saying, yeah, but I don't know that science. Well, come to a Life Defenders and we'll teach you it. And then you'll be well-equipped to do that. Or if you're not in the Northeast Indiana area, we'll bring Life Defenders to you. It's a turnkey operation, super easy. So there you go. Life Defenders, answer those little questions for you. So got an overview of what an embryo is. Now, how about an overview of what is going on with embryos, not only in the U.S., but also abroad, Dr. Lee? What does the situation look like right now? There is a lot that is going on uh, with these embryos. And I always remember that every embryo is a unique human life with inherent dignity and value and that we were all once an embryo. But what's happening is that, unfortunately, these embryos are being used for research. Mm. They are being deliberately destroyed in order to try to advance science. And there's nothing wrong with advanced science, but when you're actually harming a human life in the process that is exploiting human life in order for our own selfish gain. And so, especially when they're, you know, we could discuss for hours all the ethical alternatives that they could use, right? Mm -hmm. So they don't even need these. But basically what is happening is that these embryos that are sometimes you can either create them in the lab, so you can actually, you know, obtain actual sperm or egg, and then you can create these in the laboratory, these researchers can, or you can obtain embryos that are left over from in vitro fertilization procedures that are then donated for research. Mm. And so once these embryos are in your hand in the lab, either whether they were created or donated, there are lots of things that are being done. And I'll just give you a general overview a lot of them are being destroyed to obtain what are called embryonic stem cells. And those embryonic stem cells are then used to create what are called embryonic stem cell lines. Um, just to give you some of the facts, so there are actually 484 human embryonic stem cell lines that have been approved and are in the NIH registry. So for those that are familiar, NIH is the National Institutes of Health. It's our government agency, and they house these embryonic stem cells and then make them available to researchers. So they're not actual embryos at that point. They've actually created what are called embryonic stem cell lines that can be used for research. So that's one path where these embryos go. And it just has to be clear that these embryos are deliberately destroyed in the process in order to make these embryonic stem cell lines. 
embryos can also then be further manipulated for research. You might have heard of genome editing or the CRISPR technique. There are research labs that are actively using these embryos to research genome editing and basically trying to take out the pathologic gene that they don't want. There's also research that's being done cloning uh, three-parent embryos and chimeras. But the procedure is very similar for all of these, that embryos at day three to five post-fertilization that are at that blastocyst stage, that's where they're deliberately destroyed in order to do whatever they want or they're manipulated to do whatever they want to do with them. And as a result, in the U.S., hundreds of thousands of them have been destroyed. And it's incredibly sad because the dignity of their life is just not respected at all. It's incredibly sad. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of the experiments that the Nazis did in the camps during the Holocaust. I mean, as you're talking, it just gets more and more gruesome as you keep mentioning different things that are going on. And then you mentioned chimeras. Can you give us a quick definition of that for people who might not be familiar with that? Yeah, absolutely. So some scientists have also experimented with these human hybrids, such as like pigs and rats and mice. And the goal is that they want to produce human organs in animals with the goal to generate organs for transplantation. So there are human animal chimera experiments where they will actually basically splice together a human embryo with an animal in order to have this occur. So you might have seen like in some cases, like they tissue engineer, like you'll see like an ear growing out of a mouth, <laughs> you know, mm. but that's kind of not what we're talking about here. This is like something where they're actually, you actually have these embryos that have been spliced together and they're generating these human hybrid pigs, rats and mice and monkeys in order to try to generate these organs that can then be donated. And so it really is quite grotesque. And you really have to worry about this because if you have to worry about any of the human cells actually getting into the reproductive organs of these animals, then that's where it really gets pretty scary. Yeah, well, it starts off scary. <laughs> it gets yeah, scarier. Exactly. A lot of these human-animal chimera experiments that are being done are mostly occurring in China because they don't have the same prohibitions and regulations as other countries. and They also, when they do these experiments, they destroy the embryo at the very earliest stages. So there aren't any human hybrid pigs, rats, or mice running around. They're usually just the early phases experiments. Very rarely will you have these animals that hybrid that are running around. I think this is maybe, you know, to touch on a more popular view. So these scientists are working on these different things. And stem cell research people have heard about, but maybe not the difference between embryonic and adult stem cell research. The CRISPR gene editing we've talked about on this program before, and you mentioned they're looking for ways to remove these pathological, problematic genes and replace them with healthy genes. And then, you know, cloning done for whatever reason, three-parent embryos, that one we've touched on before and how that's unethical and not inside God's design for marriage. And then chimeras, right? We Don't we want organ transplant, people who are waiting for organ transplants, I should say, to get healthy organs. Well, yeah. So all of these on some level sound good, but all of them are being done unethically and you cannot reach a moral good in an unethical manner. 
Yeah, and that's exactly right. And I think it's really important to, like you mentioned, there are ethical ways to do experiments and there are unethical ways to do experiments. And we know, we know that there are ethical alternatives that do not rely on the deliberate destruction of these human lives. So I'm just going to give you a couple of examples. I mean, adult stem cells can be obtained ethically without any undue harm to the donated person. I mean, adult stem cells include like stem cells that are found in umbilical cord blood, amniotic fluid, placenta. We all, if you take a blood sample from our arm, we will all have circulating adult blood cells. They're found in so many of our organs, almost virtually all, every one of our tissues. And these can be obtained ethically and they can be used for incredible purposes within the laboratory and research. I mean, we know probably one of the best known examples is that adult stem cells can be isolated and are treating actually over 2 million patients in what's commonly referred to as bone marrow transplant. Mm, So when you hear the term bone marrow transplant, they're actually taking adult stem cells from one donor and they're donating them to another individual that needs those healthy adult stem cells. So that's just one example. I mean, we know adult stem cells are found in umbilical cord and they're being used to treat patients. Another ethical alternative are what's called human-induced pluripotent stem cells. And these are incredible. They are a very valuable and ethical alternative to researchers, again, that don't rely on the destruction of human life. And they actually are derived from what's called adult somatic cells. And somatic cells are something like your skin cell that is not going to be from your one of your germline cells. And so those skin cells then can be reverted back to an embryo-like phenotype, Hmm. and then they can mimic the basic biological properties of those human embryonic stem cells that they are isolating, you know, from those embryos. So basically, you can take somebody's skin cells and you can have them behave like an embryonic stem cell without any harm coming to any human life. And so it really, when you look at these human embryonic stem cell research and what the amount of destruction that is happening to this human life, it's proving to be wasteful and ineffective and problematic. It's ethically tainted and we don't need to do it. And that's not even to talk about, I know you had mentioned earlier some of the work I've done, you know, with the perinatal revolution and we've written a paper on this, but there is now we have the ability to actually treat the fetus in utero and treating the patient within a patient. And we know that there have been so many amazing advancements that have cured children from disease before birth and Mm -hmm. resulted in increased survival rates. So, you know, spina bifida is a perfect example. These babies that are diagnosed with these structural defects in utero, they can now perform this surgery while they're inside the womb and repair this defect. So I, there's just some, ama- I mean, we could go on and on about all these other amazing advancements that have been done that are helping to heal life and no destruction has to come to anyone involved. No destruction, no death has to come to anyone involved. And so it really is unfortunate that so many are convinced that we have to keep this practice going when it's just absolutely not true. Yeah, so that leads into my next question, which is if, there are so many other good options and with so much controversy and appropriate controversy surrounding these particular methods that make use of embryos in unethical ways, right? Because they're destroying them and sacrificing them. Why are people still stuck on using them? It's a great point. And I I just want to kind of give you the scientific reason 
that people that want to use this, what they say. So as I mentioned earlier, you know, about three to five days after fertilization, you have that new embryo that's called blastocyst. Right. So that blastocyst consists of what's called early stem cell progenitors. Okay. And that's what those embryonic stem cells that I talked about came about. Well, those cells can give rise to all cell types in the fully developed human body. There are about 200 cell types that come from these earliest embryonic stem cells and will give rise to the brain cells, heart cells, blood cells. So researchers want to harness the potential of these embryonic stem cells, and they are convinced that that's where we're going to be able to discover new therapies for treatment of degenerative and autoimmune disorders. They believe that that's where we're going to find these huge discoveries that are going to cure some of these of the worst debilitating diseases that we're seeing, you know, like Mm -hmm. Alzheimer's. But again, I will go back to there is so much evidence out there that these human-induced pluripotent stem cells and the adult stem cells are proving to work even better, and they are they are saving lives now. Yeah. And so, if we can just focus on those and continue to optimize, I mean, they already are showing incredible wealth of and valuable in, as far as treatment and research. And so, if if researchers will continue to just harness that incredible source of technology, I mean, I, I think we're going to see even more advancements um, in the future. Some years ago, I was reading an article in Salvo magazine, and they had an article on stem cells, embryonic versus adult. And they had like a a scoreboard listed and embryonic stem cells, I think, aren't they still at a zero? Like they haven't actually found any cures using embryonic stem cells. Whereas with adult Uh, stem cells, there's, I think, hundreds. And you mentioned how many people are being treated with bone marrow transplants alone, yeah, I think the only treatments that I am aware of with the embryonic stem cells and that they continue to focus on are with eye diseases like macular degeneration. So I know that some patients that are interested in treatments for particular eye diseases, they will be offered, you know, to be part of a clinical trial that uses these embryonic stem cells. So people have to be, if they are offered some of these treatments, whether inside or outside a clinical trial, they, they really need to ask them, well, where do these cells come from? Right. And so to the best of my knowledge, that is where most of the treatments are occurring is when it comes to or where the clinical trials are occurring as well is in the area of eye disease. But you're right. When it comes down to actually saving lives and curing them, it's all in adult stem cells. Yeah. And even if it weren't, even if the numbers were flipped, it still wouldn't right. justify the unethical process of sacrificing a human person in order to try to create cures. Yes, that's exactly right. And absolutely do not justify the means. Well, Dr. Lee, thanks so much for joining us and giving us the overview. Sometimes I think giving us the overview is a lot harder than delving into one particular topic. So thanks so much, Dr. Lee. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. February is Black History Month. For more information on the impact of abortion among African Americans, look on the web at TooManyAborted.com. That's TooManyAborted.com. 
You've been listening to I Choose Life News and Views. If you have questions about this program or if you'd like to support the fight for life, please call 260-471-1849 or go to ichooselife.org because without the right to life, no other rights matter.